podcast. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements, endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. All right, we are officially recording. So, I don't have an intro for this yet. <laughs> It's all so let me let me let me let me bastardize an intro and then I'll explain what's going on. Hello and welcome to a Patreon edition of the Shameless Picture Show that as of right now I'm just calling Cage is the Rage. Um it is something that kind of started as a joke between Amanda and I, my beautiful and talented wife Amanda, uh where we had decided to try to watch every single Nicolas Cage movie. In chronological order. Is that kind of how you remember it? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. We just were talking about how crazy it's been. I think it. we started this idea after we watched Moonstruck. Yeah. And just how he was weird then, but he's progressively gotten weirder. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of honestly how it came to be, where... Um, Actually, you can probably move it a little closer. Sorry. Uh, if you guys, for, for the, those of you who are listening, we have a very weird mic setup because I uh, I only have one microphone for this setup. So what we are doing right now is we I have a mic arm attached to our uh, dining um, coffee table in the living room. I have one microphone split between us, and we're just staring. We're, we're just sitting here looking into each other's eyes on the couch. The dogs are also here. So if if it doesn't have our normal like pop in terms of audio it's because i'm actively adjusting the gain for two people um and we're sharing one microphone so there's going to be very little editing involved so if you hear if if you hear me going up and down it's because i'm actively adjusting the gain to get good for my level so i'm not peaking and that it's loud enough so that way amanda could sit comfortably and she can also sound good as well yeah, so, I don't talk as loud as you, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. If anything, I should probably move back from the mic a little bit. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, this is going to be a little more off the cuff. It's not going to be as in-depth as some of the episodes we do with Nick. And for those of you listening, so like I said, this is normally going to be a Patreon exclusive. But for this first episode, maybe even the second, I haven't decided yet, we're going to give it to you guys for free. Um, and that way, if you like if you like this format, head on over to Patreon for as low as five bucks a month you can get all the you can get the bonus stuff some stickers and some other cool shit so um if you're interested you know come give it a listen but this first one for you is is free um so for the episode today we are going to be discussing two films um and the reason being is because so I should probably just bury the weed. And so today we're going to be wa- we're going to be discussing Amy Heckerling's Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and then Martha Coolidge's Valley Girl. The reason we are starting here is because technically, I say technically, is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, I believe, is Nicholas Cage's back when he was known as Nicholas Coppola's first on-screen movie. He did a television pilot before this with Crispin Glover, which we had not gotten a chance to watch yet. That might pop up in a future episode. Um, I forget. Why did we not watch it yet? We just haven't gotten to it. We just kept putting it off. I thought we couldn't find it for a minute. No, it's on YouTube. Oh, okay. It's on YouTube. 
Uh, it's like 45 minutes. I think it's um, it was a pilot. I don't know if it ever aired, but it's on YouTube. Crispin Glover and Nicholas Coppola. Um, the reason I say technically first uh, first film is because I'm going off of IMDb in terms of what his credits are and in what order. Um, if you use Letterboxd and search Nicolas Cage and search by earliest first, it technically has one title prior. A movie with Robert Redford called Brubaker. I'm assuming it's an even smaller role than he had in Fast Times for Richmond High. Uh, but if he's technically in it, he might also be uncredited, which is the reason it might not show up on IMDb. I don't know. Technically, Letterboxd says Brubaker is Nicolas Cage's first role. We're not talking about Brubaker. We're barely talking about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, but it is, in my mind, his first theatrical performance in all 30 seconds of glory. <laughs> so we're counting that, and we're going to move on from there. So, um, I don't know, maybe down the road, if we ever decide to watch Brew Baker, we will cross that bridge when we get there. But same thing with the pilot episode. But for right now, these are what we're going to talk about. Um as I said before, this is completely off the cuff. I don't have an intro written like I normally do, anything like that. So I, what I figured I would do is I own both Fast Times Ridgemont High and Valley Girl. So I figured I would just do what I do for my physical media reviews and I'd read off the back. Do you have any complaints about that? No, nope, works for me. So I figured what we would do is we'd start with Fast Times Ridgemont High because there's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of caginess. No. <laughs> but I feel like it's still worth talking about. Does he even it, talk in that movie? He does not. <laughs> All right, so... We watched uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High off the Criterion Edition. As I said, it was directed by uh, Amy Heckerling. Um, It's also worth noting that both of these films are directed by women, which I dig. Uh, So back of the box for the Criterion Collection says, The world, and this is for Fast Times at Ridgemont High, The the wild world of adolescence has rarely been captured with with as sharp an observational eye as in this refreshingly smart frank spin on the teen comedy by director Amy Heckerling and screenwriter Cameron Crowe for each of whom it kicked off a hugely successful film career. Based on Crow's experiences going undercover as a student at a Southern California high school, Fast Times Ridgemont High blends hormone-fueled hilarity with an almost sociological examination of the 1980s teenage experience. The shopping mall hangouts, fast food jobs, buzzkill teachers, awkward dates, and first experiences of love and sex. The pop culture touchstone launched... To stardom, practically an entire cast of unknowns, including Jennifer Jason Lee, Phoebe Cates, Judge Reinhold, Forrest Whitaker, Anthony Edwards, Eric Stoltz, and Sean Penn as stoner icon Jeff Spicoli, and broke new ground in its raw yet sensitive depiction of the realities of coming of age. So as I said, with Fast Times Richmond High, there's not a whole lot to talk about with Nicolas Cage. He has one moment. Uh, he is, I think he's just, I think he's credited as Brad's bud. And that could even be... The- Wasn't there two scenes he technically was in? Because I thought you saw him once I think initially, he- but then don't you see him again? Yeah, he gets a close-up in the movie, and then yeah. I think he shows... I think he's like in the background somewhere in a school scene. Uh, his, his iconic moment in this scene uh, is uh, when Brad, played by uh, Judge Reinhold, goes off on a, on a customer who is upset about his 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 breakfast cuz it's not the best breakfast he's ever had. He wanted a he wanted his money back and Brad couldn't figure out the cash register and everything and he went off on this fucking dude. And then it cuts to Nicolas Cage just like staring blankly at the screen <laughs> and then it cuts away. And that's See, I thought he was in a scene before that also in the restaurant. 
And maybe he was. I thought there was one before that where he was just kind of standing in the background at the restaurant. And he very well could have been. that one, because, uh, yeah. Yeah, could have just been an extra as well. Um, it, like I said, in terms of Nicolas Cage performance, there's not much there to analyze. There's not much there to talk about. It no. is worth noting that this is the last performance that he goes by Nicholas Coppola before he changes his name. And he changes his name because he was made fun of so much on this screen, on this movie, for being the uh, nephew of director Francis Ford Coppola. He was made fun of so much for being on the movie for like two minutes. Well, no, not changed. for being on the no, movie. No, no, I know. But like he was only on the movie for like two minutes. So he wasn't actually like on set very much. And he was made fun of so much in that small amount of time that he changed his Apparently, name. Apparently, <laughs> he says Eric Stoltz made fun of him. Um, Poor guy. Yeah, Eric Stoltz, who, if anyone has seen the movie Mask with Cher about Rocky Dennison, the, he has a deformed face. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Um, uh, Eric Stoltz made fun of him enough that uh, he decided to change his acting name. <laughs> Did he legally change his name to Cage? Like, is he even Nicholas Coppola anymore? I don't know. I, I, let's, let's all check the most reliable source in the world, and let's check Wikipedia and see what Nick, Wikipedia says. Um it's just it's just a, so his full name is nicholas kim coppola hmm. and uh kim kim born hmm. january 7th 1964 known professionally as nicholas cage so maybe he didn't maybe it is just a stage name yeah so but as i said there's not a lot to talk about in terms of Nicol- in terms of nicholas cage but this was your first time seeing fast times at ridgemont high um i thought we had watched it one time prior maybe i had watched it myself and thought you had seen it i might have watched it with you i don't really remember so what's your take on fast times at richmond high i mean it was a lot of fun (laughs) like i guess like it was a good comedy i don't really have any like i didn't really take notes on that one that's that's all right (laughs) when we were watching it (laughs) yeah fast times at richmond high i um it is pretty iconic film like if you watch anything that's like you remember that tv show like i love the 80s no well, there was a show on, on VH1 called I Love the 80s, and their whole thing was, you know, they talk about, like, each year of the 80s and talk about some iconic things. And anytime you watch any retrospective of the 80s or 80s cinema, that scene of, like, dream sequence of Phoebe Cates coming out of the swimming pool in slow motion is, like, always included. <laughs> uh, so it's iconic for that. And it's also weird seeing Phoebe Cates as being, like, the promiscuous one in the movie because, like, she was so sweet in Gremlins, and it's a very different role. Yeah. Um... And then, like, Judge Reinhold, we, we, me and you both love Judge Reinhold. It was weird seeing him in such, like, a, I mean, teenage role. Because mm-hmm. I feel like most of the times that I know, when I think of him, I think of things when he's older. Which, it's funny, he also doesn't look that much younger. He doesn't look any different, to be honest, like, at all. Um, and he kind of just acts the same, too, but I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting, um... It's I I've always loved Giant, Judge Reinhold, but it's just Judge Reinhold is just kind of plays Judge Reinhold. Yeah. Um, you know, even like in Gremlins, in his one small little part where he's like the douchey guy. I always forget he's in Gremlins. Yeah, I, he has that great line, "Hey, it's Cable," <laughs> when he's trying to get Phoebe Case to come back to his apartment. Uh, but oh, like, right. I feel like a lot of people, if they don't think of his his run in '80s movies, probably think of him in of in the Santa Claus. Yeah uh and With then we magnificent sweaters oh my god he's such great sweaters 
And then he becomes such a likable character as those movies go on. I know. You really hate him in the beginning, and then just as time goes on, it's... It's also funny that we hate him, because, like, Scott Calvin in that movie is the worst father... Is not the worst father in the world, but, like, he's He's the... He's pretty shitty. He's a pretty shitty dad, and Judge Reinhold is just trying to do what's best for Charlie, but yet we still don't side with Judge Reinhold. Yeah, but... It's generally frowned upon unless, like, the parent is abusive to, like, not let there be any relationship that's with the fair. father. That's Especially fair. if the kid wants it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's why is, like, Charlie does want to hang out with his dad. That's that's fair. To some extent. I feel like he's always disappointed, but that's a lesson he has to learn on his own. And having your stepfather force you to not spend time with your dad is not going to teach him that lesson. That's a fair point. Um. Yeah, and it's it's uh, it's also funny too. Like with Judge Reinhold in this in this film, it's like this movie doesn't really have a main character. Like I feel like each kind of character has their little moments. Um, and like when you first meet meet Brad, his character, he's like this kind of douchey dude who's like kind of breaking up with his girlfriend because he wants to leave himself open for other opportunities, and he's he's got like everything. And then it just steadily all falls apart for him. Um, but then it also works out for him in the end, you know, when he stops that, that burglar by throwing hot coffee on him. <laughs> yeah. But he also has a really nice moment with his younger sister where, like, he doesn't tell the parents about the abortion that she had. And it's also crazy, too. Like, this movie is it's it's rather timely with everything going on with the world and Roe v. Wade being overturned because, like, this movie is a beloved 80s staple and a big portion of the plot is tied around an abortion. That's true. Weird. So we had I just had to pause for a second because we lost our microphone. So I tried to make that as seamless as possible. And I said weird because I kept hearing the metronome in my headset and it threw me for a second. But <laughs> um, yeah, Fast Times at Richmond High, it's, it, it manages to... It's very quotable. It's still really funny, I think. Uh, but it also has something to say or... Or maybe not necessarily, it doesn't feel like it has something to say in that like it's trying to like force a message down your throat. But it's, it's I think it's trying to be candid about things that teenagers go through. You know, it's, it, teenagers' lives, at times it's fun and everything, and other times it's, you know, it's not. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and it's also uh, interesting too, like so Cameron Crowe, who wrote this movie would go on to be a pretty big name like he directed almost famous which we watched not too long ago for for, um wasn't your first time you had seen it with me before one time yeah okay um and it's kind of crazy that like so that story is semi-autobiographical you know that he went on tour with a band for rolling stone when he was still a a high schooler Mm -hmm. and then i also love that seemingly after high school he went undercover into a high school and wrote this book like yeah it's it's kind of interesting um and i also love like i said top of the episode that we have this we have uh two seminal 80s california comedies directed by women yeah uh, so, bef- so we don't have as much to, to talk about in terms of Fast Times at Richmond High, but before we move on to the next movie, was there anything else you wanted to talk about Fast Times at Richmond High? Don't think so. All right. So like I said, as a, as a Nicolas Cage film, it, it's a great movie. It's not a great Nicolas Cage film because he's barely in it. I feel like this movie could have used more Nicolas Cage. 
I, I can't picture anyone else playing Jeff Spicoli, but that could have been interesting, Nicolas Cage playing Jeff Spicoli. Um, but, you know, that's my only complaint against it. In terms of our theme uh, of Cage is a Rage, there's a significant lack of Nicolas Cage. Fair. <laughs> I have to I have to have some sort of like rating system <laughs> for this show. All right, so that's Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Next we have his first starring role, also the movie where he adopted the Nicolas Cage moniker. We have one of my all-time favorite movies, directed by Martha Coolidge, Valley Girl. This one we had watched from Shout Factory, that part of their Shout Select line. I was really happy when this came out because I just had kind of a so-so DVD copy of this movie for for years. So the back of the box says, first starts off with a review from Roger Ebert that says, This movie is a little treasure, a funny, sexy, appealing story of a valley girl's heartbreaking decision. I imagine the sexy part is just Nicolas Cage's chest hair. (laughs) All right. Description says, Nicolas Cage and Deborah Foreman star in the totally awesome comedy Valley Girl. There's an exclamation point, so I had to raise my voice. When Julie, played by Deborah Foreman from April Fool's Day and My Chauffeur, dumps her preppy boyfriend the last thing she expects is to find love with the rough and rockin randy played by nicholas cage funny enough the movie they use in like his descriptor like what movie he's from is fast times at richmond high yeah i remember noticing that but <laughs> to be fair they didn't have a whole lot else to choose from it's true but like considering this was made like this disc was put out now and this description was written now they could have been like nicholas cage from the rock or nicholas cage from any other movie that Nicolas Cage put out since this came out. Do they usually do that? I feel like I didn't realize that they would reference... They usually put a lot unless like, a lot of times, unless it's like the description was written back... Like Now, if this would have come out back on VHS, maybe like they probably would have put something that was relevant for the time. But usually, in a movie that's been out for a while, they'll put whatever that actor is best known for. Huh. I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to go for like movies around the same time period. I don't know. It's a weird choice, considering he's barely in it. But anyways, when her valley gal pals find Randy Grody to the max, she's caught up in the culture clash between her totally tubular lifestyle and her hot Hollywood punk. Oh my god. It's all one word. (laughs) Featuring a so bitchin' soundtrack packed with new wave hits, Valley Girl is a sweetly romantic slice of 80s nostalgia. Are you going to love it? We're like, so sure. (laughs) So, Valley Girl. Nicholas, like, this is our first like look into the actor that Nicolas Cage would eventually become. And it's, it's kind of an interesting one for him because I feel like he's still kind of finding his footing. Yeah, he's not as crazy as he becomes mm-hmm. in a relatively short amount of time. Like, just this versus Moonstruck. I know we haven't seen like Rumblefish, Moon- which comes next. Yeah. But, like, just... Moonstruck, he kind of, you could see inklings of the crazy actor he becomes. Mm-hmm. But in Valley Girl, he's not that weird. No. He also doesn't feel like a leading man. No. He's, he's like, very timid, mm-hmm. I feel like. And I don't know. I One of the things that made me laugh when they were doing the montage of them falling in love, he just kind of looked uncomfortable, even though he was <laughs> supposed to be falling in love at the time. Well, it's, I listened to an interview with Nicolas Cage on this disc. Martha Coolidge interviews him. 
Um, and she, he actually says he had a huge crush on Deborah Foreman while they were making this film. Oh. So in a lot of scenes, he felt kind of awkward around her because they had to do all these scenes where they're close together. And he legitimately had a crush on her. Oh, man. That would definitely make it awkward. Yeah. And I, I, I just thought that was kind of a, a sweet story, like that some of these emotions were were real and i think maybe that's why this movie sticks with me so much yeah uh so we'll talk about nicholas cage a little more in depth here in a moment but what do you think of valley girl it's a movie you've seen quite a few times because of me but yeah what did you think rewatching at this most recent time it's a lot of fun it's goofy in the way they talk i mean that's never gonna not make me laugh um but it's you know, you have a, a sweet rom-com. You have a star-making performance by Tommy Pickles. <laughs> yeah, which is so weird. I so fucking weird. love. I love EJ EG Daily. She's uh, she's great in anything she pops up in. Yeah. Um, but no, it's at, one thing I liked about Valley Girl, and it actually kind of reminded me of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Well, Fast Time, I'd say Valley Girl is a, a bit more focused than Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh yeah i still kind of like that it was kind of like a meandering kind of almost hangout movie mm-hmm. you know like yes we are focused on on the character of randy and uh, julie couldn't think couldn't remember her name for a second we're, we're focused on their relationship uh i would say first and foremost but like we do get um uh uh time with these other characters like we get time with uh julie's ex if you saw heard that loud <laughs> sigh, uh, that is our youngest dog, Vincent Price. He's laying on the couch because he wants to be near us, and he's sleeping or trying to sleep while we're doing this. <laughs> but anyone who's listened to the show for a while is used to hearing the dogs. Yeah. Um. So we're focused on Julie and Randy, but like we do get stuff with Julie's ex boyfriend and how shitty he is. Yeah, and, he's terrible. And he manipulates E.G. E.G. Daly's character and makes her feel so shitty. Yeah, even though he's the one that like came onto her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like that whole thing just made me so mad. Like, obviously, as someone's friend, it would be really shitty to sleep with their ex, regardless. But the fact that he took that and turned it around and like she was clearly i don't know i feel like she was clearly on um like vulnerable in Mm -hmm. some ways just because she seemed like she was the one who didn't have anyone um and she just wanted to be with someone but like i don't know it's just really shitty of him to turn it around on her like that Mm mm-hmm and then, like, I, I also appreciate her character going throughout the film, too, because, like, Julie's ex-boyfriend, in a way, kind of, like, blackmailed her. And said, oh, 100%. You know, uh, you know if, if anything is found out about this, you know, I'll tell her and everything. So, like, in a, I feel like in a different film, E.G. Daly's character would have been very much like, oh, you need to get back together with him. Yeah. And there was a little bit of that from her, but she was really the one who was like, if you like Randy, you got to stick with him. Yeah. So, like, she was willing to, like, kind of, like, risk her friendship with Julie, knowing that it might come out if this dude gets pissed off because she knew that Julie liked Randy so much. Uh, Yeah. I guess I didn't really get the impression that she avoided telling Julie what happened because she was afraid i guess i'm not really sure how what i was mm. work through it come on work through it well i was gonna say that i didn't think that 
I don't know. Like, she clearly is afraid that Julie's going to be upset. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that, like, she would have typically been worried about Julie being upset. I think it's the way that Tommy... His name Man- was Tommy, wasn't it? Was, it? yeah. Holy sh- the way that Tommy manipulated her that made her fear That's that. That's fair. That's a good point. So, you know what I mean? So, I feel like I feel like she, in a different circumstance, would have told Julie Yeah, I truth. think so. I think so. And, yeah, I don't, I don't, so I don't really necessarily feel like she, deep down, thought their, really, their friendship was at risk. I think it was just the fear of... Tommy manipulating her and how he might spin it. Yeah, because Tommy was he he would have spinned it in some negative way. Yeah, like he would have been like, "Oh, she came on to me," and that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, he came on to her pretty hard. Yeah, like, and she didn't turn him down, but like he was definitely leading it. Mm-hmm. And then he was just shitty to her, whereas he would have one hundred percent told Julie. You know, your friend came on to me. She was just yeah. waiting for us to break up. Like, which is yeah. a very different... Different spin. Yeah. 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 So, like, we, we got part of that. We got that storyline. We have uh, one of Julie's friends um, and her mom, like, competing with each other for the same guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, her mom, who... Well, you said it was her stepmom, right? I got the feeling that she was um, it's it's hard because like i want to say it's definitely not her mom because of how young she was but julie's mom also was looks like it's her fucking age yeah like not even like oh she had a kid when she was super young like no she looks like she's only five years older than her daughter yeah no exactly and actually speaking of julie's parents which i love her parents i think they're, yeah. they're great um there is another francis ford coppola connection Oh, really? Julie's dad, I can't think of the actor's name right now, also starred in Apocalypse Now. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, I wonder if Nicolas Cage got any Apocalypse Now jokes while on set. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Um, but no, this has always been a movie I've loved. Part of it's the soundtrack. It's got one of my... It has um, one of my favorite fallen in love montages of all time when they're playing... Um, modern english is um melt with you mm-hmm. but actually i still think my favorite needle drop in this entire film is when they are at the club for the first time and the plimstone plimsolls is playing that song uh, a million miles away and they just kind of have that moment where they're i think the true falling in love moment where they're like they first get their connection yeah that's like one of my favorite like non-verbal storytelling moments in a movie just bar none um and I also love that they still managed to make Nicolas Cage into like a charming kind of like I don't I wouldn't say hunky, but I feel like that's what they're trying to like persuade because <laughs> I think he's kind of a dork in this movie. I one hundred percent, I agree. But in a way that works, you, you, you like, can't look at a man with chest hair like that. And oh my not god, see him his as chest! It reminds me of like remember in the um, Batman Forever, <laughs> Robin's like out like the way he has they has he has this Robin on his chest. That's what Nicolas Cage's <laughs> chest hair reminds me of. Um, but like, I, I was, I, what's, what's so m- remarkable with the filmmaking and even Nicolas Cage's performance is the fact that it almost feels like Nicolas Cage is doing things that are opposite of what should make a charming, hunky main character, but still comes out on the end looking good. Like, yeah, like the story goes that at the time Nicolas Cage was living in his car. That's the story that I've heard him told. I've 
but I don't know. That, but that's the story I'm going with. That's the story that I was told, that he was living in his car, and every day they were just kind of hoping that he would show up because they had no real way to contact him. And every day he would show up with uh, clothing choices that were his own outfits and a box of, like, gags. To do. So, like, a lot of that montage of him trying to win Julie back was shit he just came up with. So, like, <laughs> when he like comes up to their car when he's like pretending to be the fry cook and he comes up with those glasses and that that <laughs> voice that was just a choice that he made or the movie theater scene where he's wearing the 3d glasses because he came with a pair of 3d glasses and was just <laughs> trying to find stuff to get used so like he's making all these goofy choices which i think real you can definitely see how Nicolas cage becomes the actor that he does yeah because Nicolas cage and people think about like his big outbursts and everything but what i when i think of Nicolas cage i think of just bold choices whether or not they work is a different story but he's making choices and usually making choices that other people aren't thinking about and i feel like you definitely see that playing here yeah i agree all right so you had some notes what else you got what else you have on there um most of the notes we talked about except for uh Fred's bad pickup lines. Oh. The do you want to dance? No. Yeah, me neither. I was just taking a poll. <laughs> Fred is such a great character. <laughs> um, oh, I feel like he had this other great one too. That's like, um, hi, my name is Fred. I like midnight walks on the beach and tacos. Yeah, that was. I don't know what this was referencing, but um, I put something about a mother, and the girl says she's dead. For some reason, I wrote that down as <laughs> one of his pickup lines, and then also, what's your sign? Was one of his pickup lines. Yeah. Just like really goofy stuff that you wouldn't expect. Like the sign one is funny because he's like this kind of like alternative punk guy and yeah. he's going up to people. What's your sign? Yeah. Like I just feel like he's just tr- he's just trying things. Yeah. But Fred's also a great friend too because he's he's constantly there for Nicolas yeah. Cage's character. Um, but one thing I also liked about this movie too is um, I feel like I I, I love that this movie is sympathetic towards both sides of the spectrum in terms of who these characters are. You know, I feel like a lot of movies, you'd have Randy's character, and, and this is how Randy views the world. He's like, you know, you guys are all fake, and we're, the, we're real and everything. But then, like, and, they, and that's just perspective the movie would give. But I also love that Julie fights back on that. It's mm-hmm. like, how are you any different than me? You just dress differently, you talk differently, but you're, what you want out of life is the exact same stuff that I want out of life. Yeah, and um, I can de- I definitely, f- and I feel like w- so one can make this comparison anytime there is a movie about two people falling in love. But I definitely can feel the uh, Romeo and Juliet influences that Martha Coolidge is pulling from this. You know, you yeah. have these two almost warring families that don't want them to be together, um, and they're looking for any excuse to do it. I can see that. And um, and like what's so interesting to watch in this movie is like I think Deborah Foreman is is a, a extremely underrated actress she makes her and eg daily make this their really ridiculous dialogue work and feel natural it doesn't feel like eg daily especially it never feels like she's winking at the camera but look how weird i'm talking like it just feels like so natural for them yeah um but what's so fun to watch is also just the way that nicholas cage kind of takes over a space like he can make being bored sitting in a shower really amusing. Yeah. Because he's just making choices. Right. Um, and it's it's great to see him and Deborah Foreman act off each other because Nicolas Cage just feels kind of like 
even though he doesn't he's not as wild as he eventually gets in something like mandy or mm-hmm. you know something like that he is still kind of an all over the place actor yeah and deborah foreman definitely doesn't come off that way but it almost feels like she reigns him in and makes him better yeah and because uh, that's one thing I feel like we're going to note. I've noticed this with Nicolas Cage's career, and I feel like we're going to notice these trends as we go along this journey that I feel like because Nicolas Cage has given great performances in bad movies. He's given bad performances in great movies, so on and so forth. And I think it really comes down to who's who he's working with because mm-hmm. he seems like an actor that really plays off the other people around him. Yeah. And then who's directing him? Is someone reining him in? Right. And granted, he's this is early on. You know, I'm not, I don't know what Nicolas Cage is like. You know, he maybe he has an ego, maybe he doesn't. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure it's a lot harder to rein in Nicolas Cage now. You know, you get Nicolas Cage, like, you get Nicolas Cage in a movie, you have a bona fide fucking movie star. Yeah. These early performances, he's just a young, hungry ac- actor wanting to get work. Right. Um, so I'm kind of interested to see kind of where this shift is. Because, like, one of the things that reason we wanted to start this is we both have different perspectives of Nicolas Cage and who he is. Mm-hmm. We have, we, you look at Nicolas Cage now, and he's almost a caricature. Not in a bad way, but he's um, he's definitely viewed at in a very different way. And there's even the, with the projects he chooses. Yeah. Then you have my first experience of Nicolas Cage, which was him being like the '90s leading man, like back when he'd be on like Esquire magazine, like of like the lists of sexiest men or something like, which is just seems like a far cry from who Nicolas Cage is now, where he's doing stuff like The Rock and these big blockbuster films. And then your experience with Nicolas Cage was the National Treasure movies, and. And then Which we're... he's weird in, but he's not like... Yeah, he's actually very, like, kind of subdued. Yeah. Um, and then you have, like, these young roles. It's like... It's almost like... And Ghost Rider. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking I, Ghost Rider. I was obsessed with that movie. I think that's the, like, movie where I had a crush on Nick Cage. Really? Ghost, Ghost Rider? Rider? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, like, you just have, like... And now you... Ha- I almost call it, like, his... His... His pre-teeth Nicolas Cage because like his teeth are wild in this film he hasn't had them fixed yet so like he's just he like you could he's very clearly Nicolas Cage it just I it it just feels like he he's picked the name he hasn't quite figured out the persona yet yeah I can see that yeah um but it's like it's kind of crazy like Fast Times at Ridgemont High while he wasn't in very much of was a big hit yeah um and then you know, I assume I don't know, but um, I assume like they didn't they didn't just you know pick Nicolas Cage for Valier. I'm sure he had to audition and everything. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see what his early audition tapes were like. Yeah, like um, but it's kind of crazy to go from an unaired television pilot, which yes, you are the star of you and Crispin Glover, who at the time was an up and coming actor. You know, he hadn't done Back to the Future yet or anything like that, but he was also an actor known for making really weird choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Robert Zemeckis tells a story on Back to the Future where they he was so wild with his performance, he would constantly walk in and out of frame. So they had to put like a little box around him, so that way they <laughs> they could pretty much guarantee that he would stay in place <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um so i was like that's one of the reasons i want to watch it because it's like you have two actors who would later be known as very wild actors in a pilot together yeah but what is that like yeah and then you know he has a small bit part in fast times and then he goes to having a starring role 
and it's pretty much off to the races since then. I don't know how big his role is in Rumblefish or any of the movies coming up, but it's a pretty big, like, I don't know what kind of business Valley Girl did when it came out, but it's it's considered a cult favorite now. Um, and like I said, it's two seminal 80s teen movies uh, to kick off Cages the Rage with. Yeah. So uh, one last thing I did want to talk about since we're going to, you know, neither of us are actors, but we're going to do our best to try to analyze the performances of Nicolas Cage and kind of figure out trends and, um, you know, try to find hallmarks that his performances are known for and kind of see if we can trace back to when they started. Um, it was really fun. Very recently, we actually saw Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. <laughs> and while watching it, Amanda actually had said that she's like, you know who he reminds me of? And she was referring to Austin Butler playing Elvis. So who Elvis reminds her, she's like, he reminds me a lot of Nicolas Cage. And I remember looking at her and he goes, yeah, you have now found, like <laughs> figured out kind of the essence of Nicolas Cage. Yeah. I just never realized how wild Elvis was, nor did I know that Nick Cage liked Elvis to the point that he married Elvis's daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, none of that. I didn't know any of that. Just watching that movie and that actor play Elvis, I was like, man, I'm like, he just not- reminds me of Nick Cage. And now you just like, because like, when you think of Nicolas, like, I just think of like, little things like gone in 60 seconds where like some of the things he does with his hands yeah it's like that's that's just elvis moves yes, right there yes i just <laughs> i feel like that movie while nick cage wasn't in it gave me an understanding of nick cage that i had been lacking so we're also going to be tracking the the gradual progression of nicholas cage as elvis as this show goes on i feel like in valley girl he's like a one out of ten on the yeah, scale. yeah it's almost interesting like he's 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 doing some interesting things with his performance in valley girl where there's so many times where he's uh kind of just brooding like yeah. after him and uh and julie break up and he's just kind of hanging around the club and just uh like he's just this brooding actor this brooding character but then also i love how like goofy he is like when they're when he's first driving julie through downtown hollywood and he's just like he knows everyone yeah and just the shit that he's saying yeah and it's great to watch that scene too because i don't think anyone else in the scene knows what he's doing or what (laughs) he's gonna say yeah um but it also has one of my all-time favorite lines in this movie um when julie's friend doesn't want to get out of the car and he's like well when they come for the he's like when they come for the car protect the radio (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah uh so it's 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 great like i said it's it's also interesting to see like that he is so young this is such an early role for him and yet he's like I don't know what Nicolas Cage's acting experience is. Like, I don't know if he went, if he studied it, if he went to school for it, if it's something he decided he wanted to start doing. Um, maybe I'll watch some interviews with Nicolas Cage and try to put that together as this show goes on. Um, but it's, it's just interesting that he feels like, while he's not Nicolas Cage as we know it now, he's a fully formed actor at this point. Yeah, definitely. Like for it being so young, like he is a good actor. Yeah, and like, and he could have continued that trajectory and still been a really yeah. good actor. I don't and think it, he would have become as iconic. No, but it's 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 interesting to see like where he goes with all yeah. of this. Like, because even you look at you look at something like Moonstruck, which we're not quite there yet. That's a good while from this film still. Maybe like a, 
I think it's like eight films from there. Really? Eight? I think so. Maybe something like that. Um, and even the way he's acting in that, where he's more cagey than he is in Valley Girl, he's still not quite there yet. It's it's interesting. Are you looking him up? I'm looking up uh, where he is or where uh, Moonstruck is. So what is the name of that pilot I keep referencing? Uh, the Best of Times. The Best of Times with Crispin Glover. We will eventually get to that. Nicholas as Nicholas Coppola. <laughs> his, his character's name is Nicholas. <laughs> I just... Why does it... As Nicholas Coppola? Because at the time... Because his stage oh, name is yeah, Nicholas okay, Cage. Yeah, I get it now. Okay. Yeah. So, got it. Okay, so yeah, Valley Girl... Then Rumblefish, Racing with the Moon, The Cotton Club, Birdie. Okay, you're right. The Boy in Blue, Peggy Sue Got Married. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to go back Arizona, to Peggy Sue Got Married. And, and then Moonstruck. So yeah, you're right. That is quite a quite a lot. I feel like, and I, I surprisingly I, though, it's only four years. That's a lot of roles in four years. Yeah, because Valley Girl is 83, Moonstruck is 87. I feel like I remember. And I, and I will try to confirm this story before we get to Moonstruck. I feel like I remember when Cher found out Nicolas Cage was going to be in the movie, she went out and rented Peggy Sue Got Married. Can you imagine <laughs> like being like, okay, let me see what this other actor I'm going to be in this movie is like. Yeah. And you fucking rent Peggy Sue Got Married. Like, <laughs> I love Peggy Sue Got Married, but Nicolas Cage is doing a weird fucking performance in that movie. I don't remember him in that movie. He's doing yet. like a Donald Duck voice the entire movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but in such an earnest way and then okay. I, well, i'm excited because like i've seen rumblefish years ago yeah um directed by francis ford coppola his uncle um and then um pretty much everything in between there to about um pretty much everything from there to about peggy sue got married i've never seen so i've never seen racing with the moon the cotton club birdie or the boy in blue so it's gonna be fun this is gonna be all new new cage for me yeah so real quick just before we sign off uh let's talk a little i just want to see um like your experience with nicholas cage how just go through his filmography and tell me which movies you've seen i'm just legitimately curious okay so obviously fast times and valley girl um you have seen i have seen peggy sue got married moonstruck uh i lost my hand (laughs) which i didn't see until recently Mm -hmm. um skipped one wild at heart oh yeah that was the one yeah before the movie theaters reopened that was the last movie we saw in theaters before before the lockdown okay i did see that um I don't feel like... Uh, I think I've seen Family Man, yeah. I actually really like that movie. You haven't seen Gone in 60 Seconds? Nope. Okay. Um, I don't think I've seen Christmas Carol the movie, but I've seen so many. And then, like, National Treasure is kind of, like you said, where I really associate him as... Like, that's what I know him from. Mm-hmm. Um, Ghost Rider, obviously. Uh... National Treasure 2. He's done a lot of movies. I think I've seen part of The Sorcerer's Apprentice, but I don't think I saw the whole thing. Okay. But I remember that one coming out. 
I actually never saw the sequel to Ghost Rider. Me neither. And then... And, we, and you've seen definitely more now. Yeah. But even now, like, I haven't seen a lot of these. We, Mom we and watched Dad. Mom and Dad together. That one I liked. Mandy. God, he does so many. Spider-Man into Spider-Man, the Spider-Verse. Yeah. That's... My, the amount of movies this guy does in a year, though, is absolutely insane. He, he's got to pay for that island somehow. My favorite joke in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is with Nicolas Cage, where he's playing Spider-Noir, and he's he finally solves the Rubik's Cubes, and he goes, this is so much easier now. Because <laughs> he lives in a black and white world. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, color out of space. Prisoners Man. of the Ghostland, which I wasn't a fan of. Pig. Pig. Oh. The unbearable weight of massive talent. Yeah, um, yeah. But God, like, that's how many Croods movies are there? Jesus, Christ. that's just crazy to me. That like, twenty twenty one, he did three. Is Bruce Willis and has still got him beat? Twenty twenty two, he's done four already. Yeah. Like that man loves to work. Also, yes, he needs to afford his island, but he also needs to pay for his freaking pyramid. In cemetery number one <laughs> in New Orleans. All right, if anyone he had if, bodies removed. If anyone out there is listening, I still think my the best idea for a National Treasure remake uh, is um, what is have it be set in the future, and people are trying to to steal some treasure from Nicolas Cage's tomb. That's amazing. And they and through some like mystical mumbo jumbo, bring him back to life. So, you know, I feel like if you... Copyright Michael Vyers. I was going to say, I feel like if you write this and you somehow get it to Nick Cage, I feel like there is not a world in which you would say no. I feel like it could the be... The issue a, is funding it. I but. feel like it could be a sequel to The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> yeah. The Unbearable Weight of Massive National Treasure. <laughs> that, that's not a good title. No, it's not. That's, that's, we got to work on that. Like, it's almost like, remember that line from National Treasure where he's like, I have to steal the uh, Declaration of Independence. I just feel like I need to swap, change it out, and like he needs to come back to life and be like, I am the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I think that's it for this first episode of Cage's The Rage. Um, Where can everyone find you, Amanda, in case people want to follow you on social medias? I don't post much, but there's (laughs) Instagram... Amanda R. Vyers, I think. Okay. And. TikTok? You, you and the dogs are on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I am on TikTok. I think that's also Amanda R. Vyers. And I'm that, not positive. And I'm pretty much Michael Vyers anywhere you look. Sometimes Michael underscore Vyers. And then Shameless Picture Show is pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Uh, we are on TikTok and all that good stuff. I should have a review coming out soon for the Vinegar Syndrome release of Shriek of the Mutilated which is a crazy Bigfoot film directed by Michael Findlay, shot by his wife, Roberta Findlay, who uh, actually did some porno titles that I reviewed earlier in the history of the Shameless Picture Show. Um, So check that out. And as I said, guys, this first episode, maybe even the second of Cage of the Rage, is going to be free to all of you. But if you want to hear us us through our journey of Nicolas Cage, be sure to uh, subscribe to Patreon. I haven't decided if we're going to do one or two epi- uh, movies every episode. It really just depends on whatever we get through that month. Yeah. Um, but next will be Rumblefish, and maybe even whatever comes after Rumblefish. <laughs> 
All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll talk soon. The Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Viers. Today's episode was edited by Michael Viers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The Shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.